You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. It's good to be here, guys. It's good to be here again. I've enjoyed my time. I've enjoyed my time out with a lot of you students, meeting one-on-one. It's been so good to see your hearts. I want to start this morning by promising you I will not lie to you today. Okay? Do you guys have forgiven me for, for Monday? Who's forgiven me? Hi, right, thank you so much. Some, some people are not raising their hands, and that's okay. I'm going to give you time to work through that. So today we're just going to be talking about how to live life on mission. You know, we're created to do good works. So many of us in this room right now, we have it in our heart to live life on mission. And we don't have it all figured out yet, but, but we have that pull, right? One thing I'm good at, I think because I have so many kids, is like taking abstract ideas and just like making them practical. You know, bringing it down to earth and make it real. So we're going to talk about living life on mission, how to, how to actually make that a practice. I alluded to people in my generation, oftentimes at the riverbanks. We talked about Ezekiel 47, the river. talked about how some people in my generation, they're still paralyzed with fear. They're afraid of making the wrong decision, and so they make no decision at all. And they feel a calling, but they're just waiting for everything to line up, everything to be perfect before they make a move. I don't want that to happen to us. I thought it would be helpful just to share some thoughts on how to live missionally right where you are. These things have helped me last the long haul. So the first one is, to me, the most obvious one. You can probably guess it if I gave you a moment to guess. The first thing about living life on mission is to cultivate your relationship with Jesus, to intentionally cultivate your relationship with Jesus. I don't know about you, but as a brand new Christian, I would pray, God, anoint me, you know? And even when you get up and speak or you go do something or you're going on a mission trip or whatever else, you're like, God, anoint us. I just want to tell you something that I have come to realize over the years. Anointing does not equal intimacy. It does not equal intimacy. You can be anointed and yet not intimately walk with God. Think about King Saul. He was anointed, but he wasn't intimate. So what I want to say is it kind of like twists it around a little bit. Intimacy leads to anointing, but anointing doesn't equal intimacy. So what should we do? Should we chase anointing or should we pursue intimacy? So I'm going to say it again because I want you to get in your heart. Like, don't waste your time praying for anointing. Instead, cultivate intimacy with God because intimacy actually leads to anointing. And, and, but you can be anointed and not be intimate. So I'm going to choose to chase intimacy. For me, I think that's something God's showing me. We're in a world where leaders are falling left and right. We're putting people on pedestals everywhere we go. And we're broken when they, when they fall off the pedestal. And it's just time to stop, right? It's not what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside. Imagine if all of us would live out our calls right where we are, wherever we are. The world would never know our name because be, all of us would be doing it. But they would know his name. And the day is over of celebrity Christians and super, you know, rock star worship leaders and all the stuff that we tend to do and put, put people on pedestals. God is looking for a nameless, faceless generation in these last days. And I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it. Don't waste your time praying for anointing anymore and cultivate intimacy. You've been taught about that. I don't think I can say anything new that you haven't heard before. I'm just talking about breath prayers and praying and walking with Jesus and listening to him. Surround yourself with things that kind of build you up. Read the word, be in the word, wrestle with God, contend alone, contend with people, pray for breakthrough, your secret place life. And back, in the, back when I was a new Christian, they called it the quiet time, whatever. I don't know. I, don't, I never really liked that word, but like, I don't even know what you guys call it today, but just do it. You know, have, just lock yourself with Jesus and be with him and just connect with them. I think I, I said something on Monday about all the different books that impacted me. Like, start picking up some of those books from people that are dead. That's the good stuff. Pick up, pick up Brother Lawrence, Practicing the Presence of God. Start, start there if you want to go for a, cultivating a secret place life with God. What you do, what you surround yourself with, who, what you do all the time, it matters. Your community, the podcast, the music, what you see on social media, on, on, on TV, everything, it matters. 
And so if you're, you can't say you're cultivating intimacy if you're not really doing it and surrounding yourself with things that would point you to Jesus. You know, so just be intentional. Just going after Jesus, cultivating intimacy, it all matters. It all has something to do with what's in your heart. Choose things that are going to propel you towards your love for Jesus and not, and not kind of distract you and, and bring you down. I don't know, my heart's kind of broken with different news reports you hear in the news about different leaders falling. And I just want to say, it's like, it's got nothing to do with what's on the outside. It's your inner life that matters. You know, so cultivate intimacy. That's the first thing. What does it mean to live life on mission? It just means intentional, on purpose, making your life count, living for Jesus, inviting people in. It's invitational. It's open. I don't even know. I probably should have looked up the definition, so I would have done a better job, but that's kind of what I think about. Living life intentionally, living life on mission. What are some things that get in the way with our inner life with God? What are some things that kind of are obstacles for us? One thing for me as a brand new Christian, now I was an atheist, so I, I didn't grow up in the church, but I still had this idea as a brand new Christian. And it was like something was not right with me. Like, I'm just like, I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. I'm never going to be enough. And I remember the campus pastor, he was preaching one day and he challenged us and he said, why don't you guys come up forward and just say, God, what do you think of me? And I was like, I would never do that in a million years. I would never do it. And I sat there thinking, these people are crazy. Why would they go ask God what he thinks about them? Let me get my life in order, and then I'll ask him. Let me do something awesome, and then I'll ask him, God, what do you think of me? But he went on, and, and it was preaching, and he had us kind of come forward. And I was like, I'm not going. But at the very last minute, I thought, you know what, Tammy, you can do this. So I went forward, and the, the altar was there, and I knelt down, and I, I thought to myself, okay, on the count of three, I'm going to ask him. One, two, three. Jesus, what do you think of me? And I just braced myself for the answer. And I knew that he was going to tell me where I messed up and where I didn't measure up and how I had done things wrong, even as a brand new Christian. And he just, Tammy, what more do I need to do to prove it to you? You're precious to me. And that word's never left me. And that was 30 years ago. You know, what more do I have to do to prove it to you? You're precious to me. And I was undone. But I'll tell you what happened. My secret place life took off. Why? Knowing what God thinks about you, knowing how he feels towards you is fuel to help you get through that secret place life. And so I asked him, I asked him this morning, you know, what do you think of me? And oftentimes I don't hear anything. Actually, many, many times I don't hear a word. But then there's that one time where he does, and it's worth it. If you haven't asked God, what do you think of me? I encourage you to do that. God, what do you think of me? How am I doing? What do you, what do you feel when you look at me? You know, and it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's been fuel for me. So it kind of helps wash away our self-doubt. Sometimes we're, we, can't, we have a hard time cultivating a secret place life because we feel dirty. We feel gross, we feel dirty, we feel like we've got sin, or maybe we have shame or embarrassment. And I think about, you know, you guys know, I, I have been in India for all these years, and, I, and I've raised children. One of my favorite things to do is to give our new little ones a bath when they come in for the first time. You know, I love, and of course, I was always the, the fun one, like bath time was fun. So, but we had this little girl come in, she was two years old, and her name is Sudha. And uh, my kids are actually watching right now, so hi, Sudha, wherever you are. I asked her permission if I could tell this story. And she and she was covered with scabies, which is a disease in the fingers. It's, a, it's contagious. And then she had impetigo, which is a disease of, of the skin from not taking a bath. And she hadn't had a bath in many, many, you know, who knows, maybe days, days or weeks. And she was a mess and she was scared. She had some wounds on her body. And she was two, two and a half years old, two years old. Our staff, who I work with, who I helped start the home with me, the two Indian women, they said, you know, let's hire somebody to give her a bath. I remember saying, no, 
No, absolutely not. That's my job. Are you kidding me? Now, in that culture, there's some pre-existing ideas about stuff like that. And so they were saying, let's hire somebody because what if you get scabies? And I was like, I, it's fine. It's not, I'm not going to get scabies. It's fine. I mean, she had lice too. I remember them saying, you don't want to get lice. Every time I say lice, I automatically <laughs> scratch my head. Anybody else feel that way? I've had it so many times. I don't have it right now. I've had it so many times. Like whenever I say it, I'm just like, okay. So, but you know, and so I remember just saying, no, this is my, this is my job. This is my joy. I want to do this. So I took her in and we had a bubble bath and I gave her, she's the sweetest little thing. And she was scared to death. She'd been in our home a few hours and she had had a meal and, and we were just really gentle with her. And she was just kind of like watching us. She wasn't screaming or crying. She was just kind of like, who are you and what are you up to? And I gave her a bath and bubble bath and I, and I was just really gentle and I was applying medicine, giving her a bath and I'm just having the best time. And in that moment of giving her a bath, something just happened. Like it was the most, honestly speaking, it's one of the most sacred moments I've ever had in my entire life with Jesus. I felt his presence. I felt his nearness. It, it was amazing. I didn't want it to end. And so I'm giving her a bath and I'm just like feeling such a connection to Jesus in that moment. And I'm, I'm, I'm crying and I'm talking to her and I was singing and she's looking at me and she's, she's trusting me and she's starting to warm up and she's starting to smile and she's starting to give in a little bit. And I take her and I wrap her in a big warm towel and, um, and I just hold her. And I'm in that moment. I was like, this is like the happiest moment of my life. I love giving this. I just love giving her a bath. I love giving, you know, her a bath. And, and, and I heard the voice of the Lord, the same kind of thing. Tammy, it's my joy to clean you up. I don't consider it drudgery. I don't consider it drudgery to clean you up. It's my joy. And just like you won't be robbed of the chance to give her a bath, I won't be robbed of that joy of interacting with you and cleaning you up. And I remember I was just undone. And I mean, I was in there for an hour just weeping and connecting with Jesus in that moment. And it stayed with me forever. It stayed with me forever, that idea that it's his joy to clean us up. And so, you know, I, I call it sometimes spiritual vomit. Like when you have kids, your, your main concern is getting your kids cleaned up. You don't feel grossed out by it. You know, as humans, we feel a little bit grossed out, but God never does. And the truth is, in that moment, nobody could have taken that job from me. And so even for you right now, is there something inside of you is like, I'm not quite ready. I feel too dirty. I feel too ashamed. I feel like something's wrong with me. I feel like I'm not quite good enough to come, to come to Jesus. You know, I don't really, I'm not really ready to make that connection with him. And he's like, it's my joy to clean you up. He won't be robbed of that joy. And so, so that's kind of, if, if you could get past that and come and let yourself be washed by Jesus and hear his voice saying, hey, it's okay. It's my joy to clean you up. It's my privilege I love it. It brings me such happiness. And so I think that that's one thing that God wants to teach us in the body of Christ. It's his joy to clean you up. And so just kind of pray to those things about that. The very first point in uh, living a life on mission is to cultivate intimacy and do whatever it takes to do that, because that's the number one thing, right? The second thing is to cultivate intentional, authentic community. Intentional, authentic community. Find your people. There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. I'm sure you've heard that before. The image I have in scripture is Daniel 3. You have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're talking to the king. We're going to stand strong. We're not going to bend to the idol. You read that scripture. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from a burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. And I read that one time and I was like, who said that? Actually, who said it? Do y'all know? It just says they said it. And that's a perfect image of community. One voice. You can kind of see, you can kind of see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just locking arms like, hey, I've got your back. I've got your back. 
When one is kind of like, his, his knees are going to give out because he's so nervous, the other one's like, no, we got this, we got this. And they, with one voice, they challenge the king. And so that's what I'm talking about, finding your community, kind of having somebody who's got your back who will go with you all the way. As a brand new Christian, I used to drink all the time at Georgia, at college, as a freshman, as a sophomore. And when I became a Christian, I just lost my, my taste for alcohol. I didn't want it anymore. Nobody told me that Christians don't, shouldn't drink like that, Christians shouldn't get drunk. No one told me anything. I just stopped. My friends came to me. They had, there was a group of about six people. And they came to me. They had one person they kind of elected who came to me and said, Tammy, you're not fun to be around anymore. Ever since you became a Christian, we are going through a phase. We're Christians too. We get it. We're good. Like, you know, we, we go to church, but like, you're not, you're not fun anymore. And you're not fun to hang out with. And you're a little bit too much. And they dumped me. And I was devastated. And I just cried. I couldn't believe it. Like they elected somebody of the six to come and tell me the bad news that they weren't going to be friends with me anymore. They didn't just gradually pull away. They literally dumped me. And so I remember just being devastated. And I was walking to the campus and walking to the ministry center, brand new Christian. And I was like, well, God, I don't know what to do. I need friends. Would you give me friends? I, I, I'm a social person. I need people. Would you give me friends? And I'm walking and I'm praying. And this guy just walks up to me as I'm getting close to the door. And he says, are you Tammy? And I was like, yeah. He's like, I feel called to be your friend. And I was like, whoa. And they're like, you know, and God just began giving me friends. And these friends have been everything to me in, in college and again in seminary and even in my community in India. God just provided a community for us, for me. And he did it. And I asked him, God, I need community. You know me. You know how I'm wired. And he gave it to me. And we need community. In University of Georgia Seminary in India, I can think about these communities. We pray together. We eat together. We laugh, we worship, we eat some more. <laughs> we, we see miracles together, we worship together, cry together, fast together. These are all things that make us part of community. And so find your people and ask God, God, I need friends. And then open up your eyes and see where they are. You can't do it alone. We need each other. Another thing that kind of affected me a lot in this area of hospitality, I'm sorry, of community, of finding your people is this. As a brand new Christian, now I came up, I came from a very broken home. I was on my own at 16, 17 years old, and I was completely on my own. And I remember going to Georgia, being with friends. It's my first Easter as a brand new Christian. I've been a Christian maybe a month, two months. And, and I went to this thing called, I didn't know what it was, but it's the first time I'd ever seen it. It was a sunrise service where you go and watch the sunrise early, early in the morning on Easter morning. And some friends started inviting me there, come to breakfast with us or come to Easter lunch. I was the only one of my friends on campus because uh, it was spring break. And so I was working, and so I was at home. I was like on campus. And I remember just thinking, no, it's not my family. I'm not going to go there. That's their family time. That's their family time. I'm not going to do that. And I said, no, thank you. It's good. And I, and I drove off together. I drove off. And I got like six invitations, and I rebuffed everybody. And I remember I, I was just in my feelings a little bit, and I was sad, and I was feeling sorry for myself, and I was driving home. And I was like, I wish I had family. You know, I don't have any biological family. I don't have any connection with any biological family. And I feel lost and broken, and I just... I started feeling really, really down, really, really sorry for myself. With every mile that I drove, I just got more down. And I'm, at one point, you know, tears are spilling out of my eyes, and I'm driving. I'm like, Tammy, just be tough. Like, stop being, stop being a wimp. You're fine. Like, get out, you know. But then the other part of me is like, you know, just feeling sorry for myself. And as I'm driving, I literally, again, you're going to think I hear God's voice all the time, but I really don't. This, I'm just telling you three stories. But again, I heard just this, the same sense, that same Tammy the blood of the lamb flows thicker than the blood of this world. And I was undone. I pulled off the side of the road and I just started weeping. And again, Tammy, the blood of the lamb flows thicker than the blood of this world. 
And it was so life-giving to me. You know, the blood of Jesus that flows between us. Anybody here who loves Jesus, like you're my, you're my brother, you're my sister, and it's more powerful and more thick than even the blood of this world. And it, it was life-giving to me. I repented of, of like just having a bad attitude. And I called these people back and I invited myself over for a meal, you know? And, and many of them became, you know, have, have, they're still friends today. Um, most of my good friends from, from college and from seminary have all been over to see me in India, you know? I mean, Greg was one of my buddies in, 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 in seminary. We were a group of four of us and five of us, and we did everything together for a season. And, um, and he's come over to India and seen me and seen my kids and, and knows them by name. And, and so that kind of community that carries with you from when you're young all the way to you're old, like us, you know, and just that, that same kind of friendship, that same kind of community. So um, if you're going to live life on mission, you've got to cultivate intimacy, but you've also got to cultivate community. And you can't just wait for it to come to you. You know, I don't have anybody. Nobody likes me. I don't have any friends. You've got to go out and get it, too. You've got to kind of put yourself out there a little bit. Take some risk. Open your eyes. Pray for it. When you pray, pray and look with eyes wide open to see how God does it. Reach out to people, you know, find your people, find your people. That's everything to live life on mission. These are just three tenets of living life on mission. I have about 10, but I'm only here today, so I'm only sharing three. Find your people. Another tenet to living your life on mission is to cultivate hospitality. And I've heard some words like that around here, and I'm going to kind of tell you what I mean. Intentional hospitality. It's creating an environment where people feel welcome, where you engage about the things that matter. You engage with the things that matter. I think about my own life all the way in college and seminary. You don't have to have a house to have hospitality. You can create hospitality from your dorm room. You know, you can have a hospitable place. You can have right there in the student center, wherever you guys hang out. It's not about the place or having everything perfect. It's about the heart, right? What is hospitality? It means engaging things that matter. I used to think like, oh, I don't have a nice house. I don't have much money. I, I can't, how can I entertain? I, I don't know how to entertain. I'm not even good at it. I'm not, a, I'm not really even a good cook or anything else. How can I entertain? How can I practice the gift of hospitality, but hospitality is so much more than that. Hospitality is actually opening yourself up, opening your life up, and just living life with people. You know, I, I joke with people that one of my top spiritual gifts is the gift of hanging out. You know, I think it should be in the Bible. And I, you know, if I could make a case for it to Jesus, I probably will. You know, hanging out should be in the Bible, one of the gifts. You know, think about game nights and hanging out. I think Jesus actually had the gift of hanging out too, you know? Think about this. In the early church, the table was a center, not the pulpit. It wasn't the message that, that was spoken. It was actually the table, sharing a meal, sharing each other's lives. Um, I laughed when I was, when I was uh, thinking about this. Jesus didn't even have a table. He just invited himself to other people's tables, you know? And so, but that's hospitality, just doing life with people. Suddenly, Wilmore's going to have an influx of all y'all going to people's houses and knocking on the door, inviting yourselves over. Tammy told us to practice hospitality. Can we come eat with you? So if that happens, it happens. In my own life, in my core group of friends in college and seminary, we did. We practiced hospitality. Intentionally living life, doing life with others, in an intentional way, engaging the things of the heart. We often live life on mission without even knowing it. I think of a guy, his name was Chung Wei. He was from South Korea when I was probably, I think I was a senior in college. He kind of came to the campus for the first time. He didn't really know any English, much English, and so we just said, hey, you know, come on over and have a meal with us. And we just started inviting him over and, and connecting with him. And, and there was a big language barrier, but we just tried to make it work. And later on, he would tell us that was everything to him. Like he was lost. You know, he ended up giving his life to Jesus. 
He ended up now living, now he lives life on mission in South Korea as a business owner, all because we opened up our home and practiced hospitality. We weren't, we weren't doing anything amazing. We were just like doing life. Come and have life. We're going to make pancakes. You get to clean, you get to cook. You're going to clean this, and you're going to cook that. And it was, just, it was just life. Let's go on a road trip together. Hospitality. Just engaging the things that matter and opening up your life, opening up your home, opening up your time, and just being with people. Hospitality. I think about my home in India. 46 kids, right? Do any of you guys grew up in a home where your house was like the hangout house? Yeah? That's what we had. Our house was a hangout house in our community. So people would come. All the kids' friends would come and hang out with us. We had so many kids coming at one point. We decided, you know, what if we just like had a youth camp? And so we invited some friends to kind of help us host a youth camp. We had like 150 kids there. You know, just friends of friends of our kids. Instant youth camp, just like that. <laughs> Everybody knew that they could come to K-Homes, and if it's dinner time, you will be fed. If it's lunchtime, you will be fed. If it's tea time, you're going to get your chai. Everybody is welcome. Everybody is welcome. That's what I'm talking about. Just open doors, open hearts. You're all welcome. Let's do life together. I've had interns come and spend six months. We've had missionaries come and take breaks there for one or two or three weeks at a time. We've had volunteers come and visitors and tons of kids and people from the community. And our home is just an open home, an open place for anyone to come at any time and feel included and be a part of our family and do life with us. It's messy, it's not perfect, but people are welcome. I think about one value that I have in India that I learned in India is this, and this is kind of hospitality. I'm not sure exactly if it is. You guys can take it or leave it. You know, like in America, if you have a five passenger car and you've got to go to, to Lexington, how many people can you, can you fit in the car? It's not a trick question. Five, yeah, if you fit five. In India, if you have a five passenger car and, and there's a six person that comes up and needs a ride, they get in the car. And here's the thing, if a seventh person comes up, guess what? They get in the car. You're gonna get pulled over here probably if you did that, I don't know, but it will keep going until you can't fit anybody else in. I mean, you might, it might even fit nine, 10 people in a five passenger car. There's always room for one more. That's an Indian adage that I love. There's always room for one more. And that's hospitality. If I'm in an American house, if I'm, I'm gonna go knock on someone's door and it's dinner time, and they have four steaks and four potatoes and four rolls and some salad or whatever, and I knock on the door and it's six o'clock, one of two things is gonna happen. Either they're gonna like set the food aside and, and, and visit with me and engage with me and eat after I go, or they're gonna say, hey, we're just in the middle of dinner, can you give us 10 minutes? And they're gonna finish their dinner. That would never happen in India. There's always room for one more. If you come to dinner, well, first of all, there's no steak because we don't eat beef over there. But let's just pretend it was biryani. We'll say it's biryani, lamb biryani. So if there's enough for four people and you come over and you're hungry and it's time to eat at six o'clock or whatever, they just divide the food up and it's enough for five. If you're hanging out in a family and they've got four, enough for four, and you and your whole family come and you're, there's five of you, guess what they do? They divide up that portion of food for four people nine ways and they just give it. Or they even, sometimes, most of the time, they actually just give it to you and they eat after, they, after you've left. They, they cook again a second time or they eat something on the side, you know. Hospitality. I think India is, is a beautiful example of a country that, that practices hospitality. That's what I'm talking about. Practicing hospitality, there's always room for one more. There's always room for one more. As you go forward from here, I pray that you would live your lives on purpose, to live missionally, to make your lives count, to be intentional, to be open, to not waste your life, to make it count for something more than yourself. It has a power, like missional life has the power to transform you and transform your entire community. I think about our little area of, of India, like it's transformative. Our whole area has been transformed. 
You know, and even when I was kicked out, one of the accusations was about me. This is so funny, but when I was kicked out of India, they found me guilty of sharing the gospel, of being a Christian, of doing ministry. And they said, we know about you. And they, I don't know if this word is an American word or an Indian word, so forgive me. They said, you're the dawn of this area, this northeast area of, of the city that we're living in. And I said, the what? You know, the dawn, is, do you use that word here? It's like the mafia boss. <laughs> and they were like, you know, you're the one that's involved in all the Christian stuff happening in your area. We know about you. It was funny, but you know, obviously I wasn't, or was I? But the truth is that our community has spread out. We, had, you know, we have businesses and outreaches to, to, to single mothers in the community, and we have a, a center for, for women to come and, and uh, learn a trade, and we have after-school centers for, for kids of single moms and support centers and community centers, and we have a booming coffee shop and a school, and all this stuff has kind of, kind of blossomed out in this area of the city that we live in. That's hospitality. It's transformational. It's trans- that's living life on mission. It's transformation. It actually transformed you and all the people around you. And so it's also fun. I mean, I guess that's my, aim, my last point. It's fun. It's fun to live life on mission. You get to live your life. I mean, he, he was joking about Jason Bourne, but I love Jason Bourne. It's always an adventure. It's always an adventure. You know, you never know what's going to happen. You're living life on the edge. It's awesome. It's an awesome life. And it's transformational to you and to the people around you. And so as we close this morning, I'm just going to offer prayer. And I, I would love to pray for you. I'm sure others would love to pray for you. And the prayer is for this. Number one, if you feel dirty, ashamed, unworthy, or unloved, I want you to know it's God's joy to clean you up. My daughter, Sue, that I talked about, she's a missionary now in North India. She's getting ready to move to a different part of Asia and work with trafficking victims. And she is amazing. Can you imagine what could be unlocked in you if you would just come to Jesus and let him clean you up? Can you imagine what you could do, how God could use you, the amazing life you could have? If you would just say yes to letting him wash you, it's his joy. Don't rob him of that joy. Nobody can rob me of that joy. No, don't rob God of his joy. If you feel dirty, ashamed, unworthy, or unloved, or wounded in any way, you can come right now, and God can, can meet you and clean you up. It's his joy. Another, another thing I'm going to ask you to come forward for, if, you, if you'd like prayer, is if you have a disconnect or a broken relationship with your family of origin, your biological family, and you need those words to soak into you, the blood of the lamb is thicker than the blood of this world, and you need healing, you can start today. You can start today. Another one is if you were like me and you needed friends, you didn't have a, you know, like, you know what? I, I have college students. I know people. I, I have people I know, but I don't have friends. I don't have that people who actually know me and do life with me. And I want, I want God to give me friends. Come and let us pray for you for that. And let's watch what God does. And then lastly, if you feel the need or the urge to give yourself to live missionally, and I'm not saying you have to go to India or Africa, but you're like, you know that you're one of the ones who's supposed to go and live missionally. You're supposed to make your life count in a unique way. Come forward and let some of us pray for you. Yeah. And so I'm going to let them close with worship. And if you, if you want to come, I'm going to be here to pray. I know others will be here to pray. We love you. We love your hearts. We want to see your, your life unlocked and transformational. I hope that you'll say yes to him. So I'm going to pray real quick. Lord, we love you. We love the way that you move, God. We love you, God. You have permission to move in any way that you want to this morning, God. Soften our hearts, God. Soften our hearts and help us, Lord, to give ourselves to you more fully and more wholly. We love you, Lord. We give ourselves to you this morning. Amen.